All right, here we go. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Come down and join us sometime like this. Beautiful audience here today. Thank you for being here. You know, we uh, sometimes we have a live audience, and sometimes we have an audience that's not very live. So this morning <laughs> they seem live. I, this morning they seem alive, which is nice. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook Live. Is that right, Sean? You have us up and going on Facebook Live. If you ever want to just join us on Friday mornings, watch along as we tape the show. Uh, that was always fun. You can pick that up at any time during the week. But no breakfast sandwich. But you don't get a breakfast sandwich. Yeah. You don't get a hot cup of coffee. And today, Pamela, Charlie Billow from Charlie's Produce was kind enough to send me a big box of fruit to me. Like, oh. to me. It was like wow. a present, present to me. As you oh. should. And so should. Pamela rated it this morning, and all of our guests are now getting my fruit for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Pam. Thank you, Charlie. Yep. Thank you, Charlie. Chef Terry, it's good to see you. We uh, did a class together yesterday. That's right. Uh, for a friend of ours, Jure, for, uh, old Starbucks representative. For all of well, you out there, if you want old, to do a but... corporate class with the uh, click and clack of the culinary industry, you are more than welcome to subscribe at the Host uh, of Society website, and Pam will organize it for you. That's right. We did a Zoom yesterday. So. Yeah. So much to talk about today. We're so into the holiday season, getting ready. I just to... created a business for us that didn't exist five minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Uh, matter of fact, I've just got a lawsuit filed against Click and Clack for uh, copying their plan. Uh, peak of the season, Christmas morning. How do you kind of get up Christmas morning and have everything ready to go? Uh, we love, uh, in my house, we love Jackie Strata. I'll explain how to make that. But uh, it's it's much better than trying to... Get up early, get the presents out, open the presents, and and uh, do all that kind of stuff, uh, and then try and make breakfast at the same time. So good to have it all done and ready. So we're going to talk how to accomplish that. Tom Vin from uh, the Seattle Times uh, is going to be here to talk about the highlights of the restaurant year and also uh, maybe some food trends in the second segment. Made in Washington, you know that store. It's been around forever. Matter of fact, I, I believe I catered the opening of that store in the Pike Place Market some yeah, at, from, from Cafe Sport. I think 647 that, years ago. Well, <laughs> I was at Cafe Sport, and they opened right down the street. And I believe uh, he went into a friend of mine's building, and I think I, was, I catered that opening. Must be... We'll stroll down memory lane with Mike. My, 1980. I don't think Mike owned it at that time. Oh. Yeah, uh, it was a lady that owned yeah, it. Yeah, it was a lady who started yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, festive whole fish dishes. Uh, Pamela's obsessed with salt crust. So we're going to talk about uh, doing... I love salt. Do you? You know, the hard thing, as you found out, the hard thing is to find the small fish, right? Because sometimes you just go to a store and they have the big fillets. Always and just It's fillets. really hard to roast a sardine. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking pound and a half size. Branzino, New Zealand perch, uh, local rockfish. Uh, that's the perfect size for our salt crust. And lastly, of course, we're going to finish our show with the Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. And I fully intend on crushing it today. One of these lovely guests, you're going to crush them? Well, no, I guess I won't do that. No, I'll be just kind. I'll just beat them kindly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just get smart. That's all. You just answer the question. I think I won last week. Yes, you did. First time in a you while. Did. First time in a while. I'm yeah. feeling very, very winning. Like, I know I've, that I've I got did. a winning attitude today. I know I did one out of five, and that definitely is not a score I want to maintain. <laughs> so. Oh, so, Chef Terry, uh, it's time for our Taste of the Week. Uh, this week I had a duck class. You know, I had lots of classes this week here at the hot stove, and uh, one of them was a duck class. And uh, between all six different duck preparations, I 
cooked or roasted or seared uh, about 18 ducks. Wow. Which gave me, each duck uh, likes to give off, you know, its own essence. It gives you livers. We had duck liver mousse. It gives you duck fat. Two cups. On a four and a half to five pound duck, you get two cups of rendered duck fat. So I got that for my duck fried potatoes. I had duck cracklings for my Brussels sprouts. I had roasted duck. I had marinated duck uh, that I roasted and put into a duck soup with shiitakes and Napa cabbage. And then I made a broth from the spicy ginger marinade that I and the carcasses, you know, uh-huh, so for uh-huh. my duck soup. Uh, and then I had seared duck breast. And this is the one that uh, I learned from you. First time I was in your kitchen, you know, like hanging out, saying hi. And early, early on, uh, the seared, the hard sear on the thick Skin. Muscovy duck. And I put salt and pepper and I, and I crisscross it, you know, with my I, knife. Not I, into the meat, just into the fat. And then I rub my fresh thyme and salt and pepper into that skin and then give it a hard sear in a cast iron pan. So delicious. But my favorite bite of all my duck dishes... Oh, I can't wait. ...was the plain salt and pepper roasted duck, where it goes into the oven. You know, you, you clean it up. You take it out of the bag, get all the gizzards out and all that kind of stuff. Salt and pepper. I put some fresh sage in the cavity, but not stuffed. I want the airflow. Oh, sure. Put it in the oven, 425 for 45 minutes, 350 for 30 minutes done let it sit till it cools enough to bone it out and then i put that skin side down right before i serve it and get that a nice crunch on the skin so delicious salt and pepper duck people need to get out there buy a duck get that dish taken care of it is uh, i got two people are so scared of it for no good reason yeah that's what i did for thanksgiving i did a duck for thanksgiving and Uh it was gone in a flash minute well, we had turkey left, but we didn't have any duck left. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, it was smaller, but still, everybody was like, oh, I love the duck. Yeah, for me, it's going to, uh, you know, yesterday we did that class with the uh, tomato soup and uh, mm-hmm. croque madame. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a short class, so we had to uh, do something that was fairly easy. And, and, uh, and by the way, you know, I like to bring up your choking on your croak, but I did not bring that up. You brought it up. <laughs> Yes, but I, yes. Redeemed, but I redeemed myself yesterday yes, by making did. it right. Yes, you did. <laughs> I happened to be on Top Chef Master one year, a few years back. Oh, you don't need to relive this. Let's, let's just move on. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I finished my story. We only and, have a minute. Uh, there was a quick branch dish to do, and, and I said, I'm going to do a croque madame for, I think it was like 200 people by the pool in Vegas. And uh, I choked <laughs> on my croque because I lost that day because... Um, I made a croque-madame without the egg on top. I, I, I meant to say a croque-monsieur. I said croque-madame, and of course the judges were like, isn't there an egg on the croque-madame? And I was like, yeah. Anyway, so yesterday we made that, and uh, I must say, it's always a great bite. You know, it, yeah. you don't think about it. And bechamel, which is the main sauce in the croque-madame or croque-monsieur, is so easy to make. If you don't know how to make bechamel, Google Jacques Pépin. Mm. Watch him make bechamel. It takes about... By the time you start watching the video, you'll be like, really? We're almost done. So it's a really quick thing. Maximum five minutes, you're done with that. And it's a, it's a simple recipe. But that makes the croque monsieur, I think. Yeah. And, of course, the good searing of the bread on both sides of the brioche. Let's, or- can we talk about that for one second? Sure. Because I thought about this later at night. I used to make croque madames or croque messieurs at Boondocks in 1978 on Broadway. <laughs> but I remember dredging the whole sandwich Correct. in an egg wash. Correct. So, but Origin- you did not do Originally, that. the actual croque monsieur, the, the first croque monsieur, or the, or the, the beginning of the croque monsieur, was dredging an what's Almost like French an, toast, an right? like, like French toast, yeah, yeah, where you put it into an egg wash. And then you put it on the... On right, the uh, right. And that's how it was made. 
it was also made with bread that was a lot different than what we use now. Okay. So now we use brioche or soft bread like that. In, in the original, it was just all oh. bread. All right, so then you're using the wash so to kind of soften it, to it up. Soften the I see. <laughs> I was thinking about that last night. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. No, it's and uh, but anyway, just reminding you that the croque monsieur and the croque madame is just adding an egg on top. So you do a sunny side up or even a poached egg. Put that right on top. All right, chef, we got to go. We're going to start planning our... Not a bad breakfast our, uh, for Christmas Day. Yeah, exactly. Start planning our Christmas morning brunch. So when we come back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Uh, it's the chef in the chapeau. Yes, my friend. I'm here, Tom. And Tom Douglas uh, at your service to talk about Christmas morning and how to make it easier on yourself. And Pamela, once again, you have brought in the best food section of a newspaper in the I world. Live for it. Yep. You brought in the New York Times food section, which in my mind is worth a subscription just for the Wednesday food section. And you were inspired by what here? Looks like to me you've pulled out some cinnamon rolls. and The, the, the most beautiful cinnamon roll raisin wreath that I've ever seen in my life. Uh-huh. So I think a lot has to do with the cut to get the exposure of the filling. Exactly. But what does... The, so, so me, sorry, listeners at home, this picture is just for us. <laughs> I'll tell you my first impression when I look at that. I just want to bake it more. Yeah, exactly. So first thing I want to do when I look at that picture, first thing that comes to my mind is I want to bake that more. So here's, I want the, that thing, to be Chef, here's the thing about that, uh, which is what we're trying to get to today, is last night, yesterday afternoon, you made that cinnamon roll yeah. wreath, right? Right. And then you wrap it raw. Correct. And then you, uh, you have to find a recipe that will not overproof in the fridge. Correct. And then you pull it out. First thing Christmas morning, let it proof or warm couple up. Couple of hours. Turn on the oven, blah blah blah. While you're doing all that other stuff, making your coffee. But the, the, the hard work is done. Right. And that's what Jackie does on our uh, on her strata at our house, which is on Christmas Eve, uh, in the afternoon, because we have a big Christmas dinner at Pamela's or Christmas Eve dinner at Pamela's house. Uh, but in the afternoon, she makes the strata, soaks it in the custard, puts it in the fridge with nice rustic bread, right? Mm. And then Christmas morning, I'm up hours before anybody else because I wrap my presents for all of them on Christmas morning. <laughs> You're the guy who does tradition. it on Christmas Day. I love that. No, I don't shop. I wrap on right, Christmas right, morning. Right. It's just part of my tradition. And, uh, of course, my daughter, even though she's a new mother of Hercules, uh, she <laughs> continues to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning after, you know, she does the first up with the baby and then she'll head back to bed. And my wife... She's a sleeper. So I can get all this done. I get the oven on. I get the strata in. And then the whole house smells like strata while you're opening your oh, presents. nice. I get the fire started. I get all that stuff done. Oh, I'm feeling cozy. Yeah. Really. So the other thing I liked in this uh, New York Times article, they have a whole loaf of bread that they scored all the way through to the bottom crust, but not cut through it, right? Correct. So that it, um, it when it bakes, it will spread a little bit so you pour the custard on the night before it's like an eggnog custard correct and then you pour it on the night before let it sit in the fridge again raw and then bake that off in the morning mm. uh, so delicious all soaked up all ready to go it's like a french toast except in a loaf size yeah it's, it's super pretty yeah now is it serviceable do you suppose you have to get a, a saw like a chainsaw to well, cut i think that you thing do up. that for your family because uh, no matter what's going to come up it's not going to be pretty you're thing no it's not going to be like when you try to cut a slice of that yeah that's going to be uh, do you 
shred your finger when you're trying to cut it with a serrated knife and end up in the hospital on Christmas morning. Those are all possibilities. Those are great things yeah. to do. I mean, you, you, know, you live life on the edge. With some spice in life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pamela, do you have a favorite uh, Christmas morning tradition of something you prepared the day before? Yeah, waiting for you to drop off a pan of Jackie Strata. That's my tradition. (laughs) We've done that a few times over the years. Yeah, exactly. She's been waiting for a few years now. (laughs) There's so many things you could do. For example... is a great thing to make the day before. I mean, make your quiche ahead of time. You know, quiche is a little bit of a pain in the neck to make. If you start from scratch, you're like, oh, my God. But it's actually... Once you break it down into different components, it's not that, that hard to make. It's not that time-consuming. You just have to think ahead. Make your dough first. Roll your dough, get it ready to go, put it in the mold, put that in the fridge. So you can put your dough right in the pie pan? Yeah, you yeah. put your dough right in the pie pan, put it in the fridge, let it get cooled off, then make your ingredients on the side. So it could be you could make a quiche with vegetable only or whatever you want, ham, cheese, you know, that's classic. You can do bacon if you want to get fancier and richer, or you can do foie gras if you want to. I mean, who knows? You could do all kinds of different things. You can do broccoli, roasted broccoli. So you roast your broccoli first, then you cut them into pieces, put on the bottom of your pie, and then put your, your batter on top of that, put it in the oven, bake your quiche, let it rest. So you bake it the day before? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, really? You bake it the day before because... A quiche is like a, it's like a flan idea. We know it's, it's egg batter, right? So you just put that, you cook it the day before, and then the day of, you cut it without splitting it. You just cut it in, into your portions and put it in the oven at gentle uh, heat, like no more than 300. Let it in there. Cover it with foil or parchment paper. Let it sit in the oven for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and it's going to warm up really gentle. You don't want to go high heat. You don't want to boil it because that's going to separate and break down. But a gentle heat, and then you'll have a wonderful uh, warm quiche. Yeah, just 10 minutes at yeah. 300. Uh, so is Lorraine a town or a woman? Lorraine, <laughs> Lorraine is actually a region of France. A there region. is Alsace and Lorraine, in case you don't know uh, your war history. I always wondered what Lorraine World looked War I like. and World War II were very famous area for Alsace and Lorraine because that's, where, that's the part of France that doesn't know if it's French or German. They've changed, I don't know how many times. It's that part of France, and then once the German move in, they take that part of France. Uh-huh. And then once the French come back, they take, actually, the French with the American every time. Because we can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were never, all in this together. I think France has never won a single war in their life. Mm-hmm. They've been in many, but they've never won one for some reason. I think Napoleon won a few battles. He won battles, but not the war. He had to go back home, and (laughs) the Russians stopped him. That's right. (laughs) Anyway. um, I just never figured out why they were in such a hurry. I mean, quiche Lorraine is actually ham cheese. That's what it is. It's a ham cheese quiche. If you do anything else, it's not supposed to be called Lorraine. Okay. You know what my favorite dish is from that area? Uh, Choucroute. Sauerkraut. Oh, I love that. You're right. Maybe I have two favorites, but I also love that. Thin uh, pizza that they make up there, the onion. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the tarte alsacienne. Yeah. Flambe. Flambe, yeah. The That's onion so uh, flambe. With the cheese. What do they flambe it with? Uh, usually it's eau de vie. I think it's eau de vie from Alsace. Uh. I, I'm not quite sure what the exact uh, booze is, but anything that will get on fire, mm-hmm. probably good. So the other thing that's good for uh, Wait, Christmas what morning. What is that, though? What, that, the onion? Dish, it's yeah. an onion and cheese Pizza, kind Almost of, like a pizza, kind yeah. Like it's a tart, it's a tart, but it looks like a pizza, it's very thin. 
And, um, like but it's made with tart shell. Like pisaladier, but yeah. with onion and cheese. And okay. it's uh, flambe, flambe at the end. Yeah. Good. I want that. It's I'm surprised delicious. I haven't made that for you no. before. Yeah. Yeah, we should do an Alsatian tart. That's a good, yeah. a good one. Yeah. So the other thing that I like on Christmas morning is if you're not up for that heavy thing like a strata that's got mushrooms and, and ham or pork chop or whatever in it, uh, rustic bread, all sorts of things, uh, is gingerbread. And in my second book, Tom's Big Dinners, I have a butternut squash gingerbread recipe that I think comes out perfect every time. It does. And you do the, flawless. you cut the uh, butternut squash up into wedges. You lay it in the bottom of the pan with caramel sauce. Uh huh. Then you pour your ginger batter on top of that. Oh, cool. Uh, and so you end up with gingerbread, but when you turn it out, you get this beautiful f- uh, fan of uh, yeah, it's upside down of orange golden yeah. uh, butternut squash on top. You can do it with pears. Like poached pears in the bottom, any sort of thing, but it makes a beautiful topping for it's, the gingerbread. By the way, it's also a day to make banana bread the day before or the day of, but uh, all those bananas that you've been putting in the freezer that are going bad on your counter, you put them in the freezer, that's the perfect day to just get rid of all that. Just take all those bananas and You know make what I think of banana, banana bread. bread, Chef? I don't even want to know what you think about it, so okay. I'm not going to even ask. All right, you're not going to ask. Okay, good. Up next, Tom Vin is here. He's going to share his insight on the cool things happening the Seattle restaurant scene uh, when we come back on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Kitchen. We're here in downtown Seattle. It's in the beautiful Hotel Andra. Uh, we've got a two-hour show for you. We're kind of getting started still. We're still in the first... By the way, a great, great place to go for a staycation. I've done that a uh, couple oh, of weeks the ago. The Hotel Andra? Yeah, it was beautiful to yeah. come. And, you know, you have Lola that's open downstairs, so it's really practical to have breakfast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a very convenient thing. Unfortunately, there's a bakery across the street, so you eat two breakfasts. Right. And then you go to um, Serious Pie for lunch. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Come back to Lola Keep it into the family, I guess they say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beautiful. They just did a remodel here, and it's a beautiful place to hang out. Fourth in Virginia downtown seattle right uh, in the same building that lola and asagio restaurant is our neighbor on the other side of the front doors of the andra and of course uh, we are here upstairs on the second floor floor yep. two you know i don't know if you know what this used to be this used to be where the owner of the hotel and i had a putting mat and we used to have putting contests and sip scotch right here in this very room apparently they changed the room into a much more profitable yes. idea <laughs> <laughs> Tom Vin is here. He's going to share his insight. I hope, Tom, you're going to share your insight on what's uh, going on in the Seattle restaurant scene. Because you know, one of the things about COVID, for me anyway, is it's limited how many times I get out because I'm working so much in a funny way. You know, it's like I can't tell you how many times I've been called in because somebody's uh, on protocol or somebody's on vacation or there's not enough people to work. Or I've washed dishes at Carlisle Room 17 times in the last three months. Uh, because our dishwasher walks off the job or whatever it is. You know, dishwashers now get paid $30 an hour, and you still can't keep one. So it's unbelievable. So Yeah. Are you seeing that around the city, The people are f- freaking out? Oh, gosh. You know, every owner I've seen is washing dishes. Yeah. La Usan, <laughs> if you go there, one of the owners and chef, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Because it's a sous chef who's trying to build their resume, so you want them in the line. That's how you keep them. Right, right. And it's a chef, it's the owner, it's the owner's wife who literally wow. are washing dishes yeah. on Friday and Saturday night. Yeah, I wish I was exaggerating, but that is a true story. And honestly, I don't have a real problem with it. I wish it didn't have to be that way, but 
there's nothing quite like when you've been in the business for that long, for as long as I have, of kind of getting back to the basics. There's, yeah. it's, it's, to me, it's a little bit like when I take the peel at Serious Pie, and it's just you, the pizza, and the fire. And you yep. just work it, and you turn it, you work it, you turn it, get that golden crust, uh, get everything perfect, pull it out, and finish it. And that's, that's the way I feel about dishes. During too. COVID yeah. time, I can't, I mean, during COVID time, I'm still in COVID time. I talk like it's over. Um, during COVID time, when we were at Luke, I had one guy with me. You know, Ron was my, my sous chef. I mean, we were doing all the dishes. Yeah. Yeah. You, could, you couldn't find a dishwasher or you couldn't, I mean, you, either at the beginning, we couldn't afford a dishwasher, which was the rule of life. It was like, this is survival mode. So everybody does the dishes. You know, the server would come in the back, and if they had five minutes, they would do the dishes. And it was, it was you know, it's, so be it. It be, it's supposed to be that way. Yeah. You know what's worse than that right now is the job no one wants, Tom, guys, is the guy who checks the COVID vaccine card. <laughs> yeah. That is the most stressful job, yeah. and no one wants it. Yeah. Because I remember I went, gosh, what restaurant was this? She was just crying because an anti-vaxxer oh. was giving her a hard time. I yeah. Know. And then someone had to take over the gig. So besides the dishwashing gig, that's a job you do not want. The door person who checks vaccine yeah. cards. Well, the anti-vaxxer, you know, they just got to just, we just asked them to leave just because... It's not. It's it's a law for us. We have to follow. King County Health Department is following that we follow the law. Right. right. And if you're an anti-vaxxer, sorry, go go someplace else because it's not that I don't want your business, but that's just the law. Yeah, and yeah. it's. I feel like for restaurants, it should be someone who's experienced and who has. We have thick our managers skin. do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I see too many servers. They look like they're just out of college or high school. Because. You know, you guys know this. Labor is tight. Yeah, and course, you just hire who you can. And they should be the one who has to deal with all these anti-vaxxers who's just bullying them. It's, it's so tough. It's just, it, I just cringe when I stand in line waiting to get in restaurants. All right, let's move on to more positive topics. <laughs> like, what are you seeing out there? What's new and exciting around town? Uh, or even old and returning to town? Oh, it's tasting menus. Ah. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Pre-fits. And, you know, it makes sense because with the labor shortage... Hey, you sit down. This is what you have. Are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? You got this some course menu. Okay. Are you immediate? You got this. And people have moved exclusively to this. Canless has. Mm-hmm. Tomo has. And I'm going to Juanita Cafe tonight. They have like four menus. Vegan, vegetarian, fish, meat. Uh-huh. And that's just the way to go. And I love it. At first, I hated it. But I love it because, one, it's so much better in terms of quality. Yeah. Because every dish, oh. they hit it right out of the park park. It's not in the cook. It's not overcooked because you have fewer dishes to work with that you have to focus on. And, and you can just swap. Like, hey, I don't like beets. And they can swap you because they have the other menus. And it's just it's ingenious. And this is not going away. I mean, I think it's staying, especially <laughs> is, with the labor This shortage. is what I was doing since 1986. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like, you know what? That was, when you have a small restaurant and you want to do quality and, you know, you want to observe a certain standard – I definitely think it is one way to go, especially in regards to labor and to standard of quality. It's a great way to go. I mean, you do a set menu, and, and you're right. Some people are going to say, well, I don't want to eat, you know, I don't want to eat venison tonight. I want to eat chicken. And you know, look, you know, we have vegetarian option. We have, we've always had options. But in general, you're going there to basically eat what the restaurant is making that day because that's, 
Just where you're going there. It was just an area that I struggle with. You know, as you know, Terry, I, I didn't come but to Rovers. But you don't struggle as much today as you did then. I, I, I don't. I don't go to tasting. My wife loves them, but I don't go to tasting menus. It's just not my gig. What else is going on out there? Well, you know, just before that, you know, I, I should say one person who is against that is Mike Easton at El Nido. Uh-huh. Yeah. He did it. And he stopped it because, one, it priced out a lot of the locals. Mm-hmm. And remember, El Nido is in West Seattle. Right. So the bridge is down. Right. So he had to get rid of it and go back right. to just the regular menu. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just like when I sit down, I'm, I never know what I'm in the mood for. I just kind of like ordering what I feel like ordering and just, just me. <laughs> I, think it, I think if you know ahead where you're going... You choose to go or you don't choose to go. I, I get mean, it. I get it totally. It's just like anything else. It's That's like, why I was, a, I was a customer at Luke 10 times more than I ever was at Rover's. Right. Because then I could choose. What's next? Uh, I would say, you know what? Bagels. Bagels ah. are big. Ah. And I, I love that people say, oh, because of this and that. But you know, it's all, you know about this. It's all about the bottom line. Anything with flour and water, people are doing now. Bread. <laughs> Fresh-made pasta. A lot of pizza. Yeah. yeah. It's all hot. It's all, quote, trendy. It's because also, it's just cheap, and you, you, it's just a high profit yeah, margin. And it right can up. go, too, as in to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You, know, you can order it in, or you can order it out. So yeah, yeah, it, you, it stays I, really well. I, th- I would argue just a little bit on that, Tom, that it's just high profit, because it really depends on what you put into it, you know, sure. as far as uh, from the quality perspective of the toppings and stuff. But labor is, uh, no matter what you're making, labor is uh, 25 to 40% more expensive than it was pre-COVID. And so bread takes, bread takes labor, and finding bakers is very difficult. And so that's an interesting dilemma, right? It, may be, yeah. it might be a margin item f- from a cost, food cost perspective, but not necessarily from a labor perspective. Right. Yes, good point. Because even the, the bakers, I was talking to uh, the bagel maker at Locksmith, and he says, yeah, you're right. It's a high-profit margin item as long as I can find a baker. Yeah, right. And as long as I do plain Bagels, because that's just flour and water. Right. Then that's when it works. Exactly. Another thing I would say is, Tom, you, uh, you get credit for this one because you, you pretty much put this on the map. But everyone is doing tortillas now, fresh uh-huh. tortilla, uh-huh. like heirloom masa, and it's like mm. these bright, beautiful fall seasoning flavors. Tell me some places because I want to go get some because we're, we're not open right now at Cantina. So. Oh, it, it devastates me because yeah. you won the first that do that. You, you really deserve credit for well, that thank one. you. Did people buy into that? I'm curious. Did people uh, buy into that? Yeah, it, it was always a struggle. Like anything that's not manufactured, you know, anything that's handmade, the consistency is always a problem, right? So, exactly. Uh, and heirloom corn comes in in lots of different categories, blue, red, yellow, white, all sorts of things. And so when that changes, everything changes. And so it presents its own set of problems, but I loved it and people loved it. Well, so to tell us, where can we get some fresh corn tortillas? The best place to get it now is at Pike Place Market. I'm uh-huh. going to butcher the name. It's a Mexican restaurant called Maze. Yeah, it's I just hope... where the old uh, exactly. shop used to be, exactly. right? Yeah. And the thing is, they're still working the kinks out. It's not perfect, but if you go, and Tom, you would appreciate more than anyone else because you, you did this. It's like every day they just grind the corn, mm-hmm. and it's different heirloom Different Oaxacan corn and masa. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful. It's just so aromatic. You have these fall cinnamon spices, this garlicky flavor, and it's like different tacos. And uh. I recommend, I, I don't have stock in this. No one's going <laughs> to say this. But it's just, it's just you're going to see more people doing this. Right. The backside of that story is that you're keeping these indigenous heirloom farmers in business, right? Because corn is government-controlled. Uh, government 
like masa, masa for tortillas is government controlled in Mexico, so it kind of forces the artisanal corn off the market because they can't compete on price. Right. So we're actually taking it up here and competing on price in a different way. So uh, you're helping two sides of that story, the farmer yeah. and the, the, the people that put the tortilla on the table. So. And I, I would tell people, if you never had these fresh tortillas, like this heirloom to make uh, corn, you, you, it would, it's a yeah. life-changing. Yeah, you would sure. never want to go back to just any taco. You're going to be a taco snob. It's the difference between plain and very, very tasty. Yes. I think that's the difference. Exactly. You get a regular taco or a regular tortilla, you know, it's got a certain flavor. But you, once you get into the homemade stuff, the Delicious. difference in flavor is absolutely fantastic. Tom's going to stay with us for another segment. We're going to continue this conversation of what's new, what's wow, what's the food trends, uh, all of the things that make the restaurant industry super fun. And my, by the way, we didn't introduce him. We have, we actually should say who, what does he do for a living? Oh, did we never mention okay. that? We never no. said Tom that. Tom Vinn is here from the Seattle in. Times. I thought I, I thought I read that right off there. No. Tom Vinn is uh, uh, from the Seattle Times. Okay. I want to make sure that people know. That's good. That's we good. Just does everyone know that time. now? Tom Vinn is from the Seattle Times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to have a whole other segment. So uh, you'll get more of Tom Vinn on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society radio show here in downtown Seattle, where all the restaurants are open. Come down, visit, you know, except, yes, for, except for my two, last two. Yesterday, I, was, uh, I parked at the WAC uh, to go get my hair cut. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do. You have, have two, hair? Two, two to cut. Okay. And uh, the parking lot was packed. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's busy down here. There's a convention in town of... Uh, of Wackers? Of uh, no of uh, Washington infection, infectious disease. Go, go believe <laughs> oh, that. Oh, great! Uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Tom Vin of the Seattle Times. Uh, thank you for joining us here at the Hot Stove. Uh, you were here. You were on the show maybe a couple years ago. Is that right? No, less than that. I thought you. Oh, and I can't remember. Bethany I'm so Jean old. Clement. I can't remember. Yeah, you can't remember. <laughs> I do notice that. you're getting some, uh, for, good for a restaurant reviewer, you're getting some salt and pepper in your hair there. I know. <laughs> I'm losing my hair. I'm, I'm going hey, I'm gone bald the last right. few years. You're lucky it's not fish sauce. Pamela, <laughs> one of the reasons Pamela was desperate to have you on is she wants to know about all the new things happening around town and maybe some food trends. I'll throw in mine, which is uh, I've been saying for 20 years that modern Indian food is the next hot ticket, and it's... <laughs> We're just now getting it. Uh, is it Mishu uh, in uh, Fremont and the Cricket Club over in yes. the old Sol- Solare space uh, on 65th are both delicious little yeah. modern Indian restaurants. And you know what? I, I've heard this a lot now, and I hate the comparison, but the saying that everyone thinks they want to do the next Vigis. By the way, the great... The next Vigis out of Vigis, Vancouver. thank yeah. you. Thanks yeah. for it. I butchered that. But yes, it's, they think that this has the market for it because you have Amazon. You have a huge Indian population. Yeah. And it just works well, and that's what they're all trying to do. And that's – I wouldn't well, be making here, that statement. That's here's what I'll say to this. Vikram, who owns Viges up in Vancouver, says that the traditional Indian customer will not come to his restaurant because he charges too much money. Uh, because Indians are very thoughtful about their food in that way uh, and price conscious. But they also feel, like a lot of us do, that they make the best Indian food at their own home. Right. So uh, they're not going to have Vikram make it for them, right? So when you go into his restaurant, you generally see a more Caucasian clientele because we don't know any, not any better, but we love just good food no matter exactly. what. Exactly. Yeah. 
And uh, uh, related to that is shellacking for shellacking. I'm going to butcher that. But you see that pops up a lot now on menus. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that also. And I think Peruvian uh-huh. restaurants is yeah. so now, big. That has come and gone over the years. Have you noticed that? There was that yeah. great place in Kirkland maybe 10 or 15 years oh, yeah. ago. And Simania took it over, I think. Look Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And that, so Peruvian has been like this hide-and-seek kind of uh, concept. And, You're going to uh, see. There's a lot of food. There's a, there's a stellar one that opened up in Linwood. It's called El Rey, and I highly recommend it. And, Chef there, you're going to love this because I know you went to Peru, yeah. and this is right up your alley. It's just yeah. beautiful comfort food, Chinese-inspired, Japanese-inspired. Uh, and for those who have never had Peruvian food, there's a lot of Japanese influence and Chinese yeah. influence. Big We're, time. Yeah. And there's another one opening in Pioneer Square called uh, Senor Cobon. And that's going to be on First Street on Pioneer Square. Oh, wow. And, of course, this winter, Chef Murphy is well, going to yeah, open. That's what I was yeah. wondering. Has she Columbus? opened yet? Not no, yet. she hasn't. Okay. Word has it. It's coming in the coming months. We'll see. Yeah, Tamara and, and Linda from Terra Plata are opening right. a Peruvian restaurant right. in Columbia City, I think. And that's going to be, that's going to be ambitious. And, and I think I've heard rumors that they could be coming to Kent and White Center. It's just big, and it's uh-huh. big in L.A. now. Yeah. And I don't understand why these things come and go, but yeah. I'm glad. I think if you never had Peruvian food, you're going to be very surprised, and you're going to be very happy. Yeah, you, you're right. It's always interesting to see uh, why so many people get on the bandwagon of something at, at the same time. Because, you know, like Tom said, it's pretty dormant for a while, and then suddenly... Boom, five Peruvian restaurants open. You're like, what just happened here? Yeah. Did we miss something? Yeah, and I, and I don't know why this is, but they're all opening at the same time, so it's not like they're copycats. It's like, right. oh, that's successful. I'm going to mm-hmm. do that. Right. Yeah. I think you're seeing, uh, maybe with some of this transition of COVID of restaurant spaces, uh, you're starting to see a, a little bit more back to a mom-and-pop situation because of the shortage of labor. Both owners now have to work, right? And that's one of the ways you can make a new operation happen. Uh, is by working it yourself. Yeah. And along that same line, we talk about like set menus. If you have a labor shortage, a lot of people are moving to the fast casual model. Right. It's just rice bowls. It's an assembly line, right? It's like Chipotle and Subway. And that's coming back. I, I kind of hate it, but it's, it's, it's not as creative. You're eating pretty much the same two, three dishes here and there. But that's not going away. That is staying. Well, I think it's good than the fast food becomes, I mean, gets, you know, brought up. As yeah. in, if we're going to have, you know, starting to have chef making fast food, I mean, hopefully it's going to bring up the, fast food. the standard yeah. and the yeah. quality of fast food. Yeah. And which, I think that's the good part of that. Yes. You know, and I like the pasta bowls. Yeah. Uh, people do that in LA, New York. I see, I think you're going to see more of that. Like the pasta, fresh casual, where you just decide like, hey, here are your sauces, here are your three pastas, and here's your meat option. And that's it. Yeah. One thing I was amazed the first time I had it, that was like 25 years ago, was the Mongolian grill. I thought that was the coolest idea of a restaurant ever made. Because, Where you go through the refrigerator well, because line. You, and pick you your pick your own stuff yeah. and you give it to a guy and he puts it on this thing and you sear it. And I'm like, what a great concept. I mean, if you're not, you know, you don't want to spend a hundred bucks every time you go out to dinner. It's a great way to eat and you actually pick the ingredients you're going to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, some mushrooms, some peppers, some onions, whatever, and a good slice of beef or some shrimp and whatever. It's like, if the ingredients are good, it's a great concept. Yeah. You know, one of the things at my age, I'm 63 now, but I find myself going back for some more traditional flavors sometimes. Like when I want traditional Indian food or something, what do I know? I've never been to India. But when I want what I think is traditional Indian food, I like go to someplace like the Saffron Grill up there at Northgate or uh, places like if I want traditional, what I consider Chinese food, 
I go to uh, Taitung down in Chinatown, and, and then I oh. choose to go to a different layer or a different style of food for the same ethnic culture. Of course, India is a big country. There's lots of different <laughs> food. Yeah. You know, along that same line, Thomas, I think Chinese food on the east side in the next two years is just going to explode. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to be as good as Richmond, but we're getting there. I mean, we're seeing a lot of people and investors from Hong Kong, mainland China, and Vancouver – they're moving to the east side because that is a very rich Chinese demographic. Right. Um, Dan Goy, I hope I didn't butcher that. Dan Goy, Shoshana Cuisine, new restaurant opening a Bellevue Mall, Mall, fantastic. Famous Kitchen, it's like a chef in Vancouver and some investors up north. That is just fantastic. And a but lot you know, of dumpling houses. Peony opened over there. They were doing beautiful food, uh, yep. Chef Dana of, of Peony. and. Yep. They were struggling to try and make it. They just didn't catch on right there on Old Main. Beautiful location. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, I couldn't figure that one out because it was a step above of any Chinese food that I'd had in this town. So. Yeah. Isn't it weird? Like, I don't know why some make it and others don't. Uh-huh. Like, it's been the restaurant business enigma forever. Yeah. It's like, why is this guy not making it? You don't understand. Why is this guy making it? Sometimes you don't understand either. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is definitely neighborhood. There is. All right, we only got one minute, Tom. Uh, last surprise pick. Anything on your list that we haven't talked about? Oh, gosh. I, I, I love the tasting menu at Aki Kushiyaki in Madison Valley. Oh, and nice. that, we did not name a restaurant of the year because we don't review restaurants during COVID because it's unfair. But if I had to name the restaurant of the year for 2021, that would be it. Aki oh, really? Kushi- Kushiyaki. Oh, cool. I butch. It's just incredible. It's like, I think, a 12-course tasting menu. And even the, just the chicken. Forget, forget all the fancy marble meat cut. Just the chicken. I mean, the skin. It's like mm. pop rock. It just pops in your mouth. <laughs> it's just crackly. And by the time you eat just one bite, your lips are just glistening in like chicken fat. <laughs> and I, I, I've never seen anything like it. I, 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 you just got to check this place out. And all again, right. I'm not an investor. I'm just... Yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. You're doing your job is what you do. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Well, thanks, Tom Vin, for coming in and sharing some of the hot new places around town, some food trends, all the things that you do every week in the Seattle Times. We appreciate you. Uh, Up next. Subscribe uh, to the Seattle Times. Keep local journalism alive. There you go. We agree. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Up next, we're going to visit with Mike Mondello of Made in Washington, just in time for your last-minute holiday gifts. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Coming to you live from downtown Seattle at the Hotel Andra. Come by and do a staycation sometime. Stay Thursday night, get up Friday morning, have breakfast at Lola, and then come up for the show. Or or have breakfast at the show. And there's a code. Um, When you sign up for something at Hot Stove, you get a discount. Oh, really? At the hotel? hotel? Yeah. I did not know that. pretty nice. Wow. Mm -hmm. What's the code? Uh, There's a link. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Don't tell the code to everybody. (laughs) Yeah, they have to sign up. Why not? We want them to come. (laughs) They have to sign up. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And we're going to get you the code in just a minute. We're not going to leave you hanging forever. Uh, We have another full hour. I, I listen to the Golf Channel once in a while on the radio, and there's a there's a thing that they say, which is another full more hour, and it turns out that it's proper proper grammar. Who really? Knew? Yeah, another full more hour. In our second hour here today, we're going to talk about uh, some last minute Christmas gifts uh, made from food. 
uh, and available at Made in Washington. We've got two full segments to go with that. And, of course, my mouth is watering now because Mike made us uh, eat 18 things in one minute. <laughs> and so uh, uh, we're all, we're all uh, eager to talk about them. But uh, we're going to also talk about Pamela's angst about salt crust. She just wants to make it, and she's nervous about it. So we're going to talk about how to get her through that drama in her life. And then finish up the show with Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, Sauces, and Mustards. So um, welcome, Mike. Mike from Maiden, Washington. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. I'm sure you've seen his stores. And I was just thinking back to my days at Cafe Sport, and I don't remember the woman's name who started Made in Washington. You probably do. Uh, that was Jack and Jillian Matthews. There you go. Yes. And I catered their opening in the Pike Place Market Oh, store I never knew that. That's a great years ago. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they went down to Oregon and saw Made in Oregon and said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and they brought it up to Pike Place Market. Yeah. And Did then they, you were in the smoked salmon business, and uh, you then bought Made in Washington, right? Yeah, Is so that Ma- how that went? Made in Washington became part of Seabear. We've now actually split them, but they're still sister companies. Oh, okay. And I'm, uh, I'm involved with both. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, congratulations on a fun store. Thank you for carrying our products. Yes. We appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about, uh, or let's get rolling on some of the things that you have put in front of us. First one that I tasted was the Burnt Maple Crunch. Yeah, so first of all, just stepping back, this we've seen so many cool new items come out of local food makers in the uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, they get it's, plenty of time to They get plenty of time to innovate. Yeah. Uh, and they're really willing to work with you, right, on, right. on bringing it to market. So we did a series of like 25 what we called online pop-ups where we would just meet someone like this cool chocolate and say, you know what, let's just try it and put it out there. We'll take orders for a week. If people want it, great. We'll ship it to them. If they don't want it, no harm, no foul. And so that's how we met a lot of the folks we're going to talk about today. So Cool Chocolate is a couple up in Bellingham, and they're all about working with small farms and primarily women-owned farms. Mm -hmm. And then they bring them into these really innovative chocolate flavors. So they've got a great story about sort of the sustainability of all these farms that they work with, but on top of it, it's absolutely delicious flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can say in beautiful packaging, so it makes a wonderful chocolate gift for so the holidays. Side note to this. apostrophe U-L, cool. Cool. And that is Mayan for something, uh, I don't remember the exact, I don't think I wrote down the exact phrase, but it's, uh, it's, it's a so, sort of celebration out of Mayan uh, okay. culture, yeah. Would you say there is more conscientiousness about the food that people are putting out on the market today? You know, there's a couple of things we see across all the uh, things we're going to talk about today, and frankly, everything we've seen over the last year and a half. One is, and these are not new, but they're dialed up, on, they're on steroids. Right. One is the absolute uh, focus on sustainability and, and, and making sure that the food is not just delicious, but doing right by the planet. Right. The other thing from the consumer side, which has been so interesting is, you know, everybody got excited about supporting local as the pandemic hit, sure. right? And we, we certainly saw that. Everybody saw that. But it hasn't waned. It's gotten stronger. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten stronger, we think, because people discovered cool new foods. You know, before they were at the, in you know, March, April, May, June of last year, they were doing it because they wanted to support the community. Right. Then all of a sudden, it's like, this stuff's great. Right. <laughs> right. And so now there's this real passion behind local that we've seen for years, but it's, again, at a whole other level. Right. right. Well, I also think that people are not buying Crate and Barrel as much to send to their friend in a different state for a holiday gift or whatever. I think a lot of people are packaging food. You know, they're sending food instead of sending 
different things. You know what my package is this year? Five pounds of bacon, a pound of five different bacons. Oh, that's cool. Just saying. That's but my that's Christmas cool. present this year. And, and you're right, and people are sharing food more. For one thing, if I can't be with you guys for Christmas, correct, I'll send you the meal. Right. Right? Or and, you'll make it. And you, and you ma- or you make it together. And, yeah. and people love to, you should see like the gift messages we get. It's, all, it's not like, hey, I miss your Christmas, you know, take this crate and barrel, whatever. Right. It's, these are some of my favorite foods. These are foods that are celebratory of our region. I wish you could be here in the Pacific Northwest with us this Christmas, but you can't, so try these. It's all about celebration right. around the food. Right. Lovely. All right, next thing up is a, you brought a bag of kind of like a, what I call butter crunch cashews. Mm-hmm. What are they called? So those are absolutely nuts. Those guys, it's another one of those online pop-ups. You just said they're nuts. <laughs> the brand name oh, is Absolutely Nuts. Absolutely Cinnamon Roasted nuts. Cashews. Yeah. Really tasty. I'm a big fan of, uh, so they've got about five or six flavors. Um, I'm a big fan of these kind of, I buy them down at Pike Place Market all the time, you know, the freshly roasted ones. These are, these knocked our socks off when we right. tasted these. We it's the kind know, of thing you get on the street corner in New York City, those yeah. kind of candied nuts. Absolutely. I, was, I, was I just did this a month ago. <laughs> fact, yeah. And you know what? I would take these and throw them in the oven for one minute. Oh, yes. Nice. Just heat them up. Absolutely. Give them a little heat. It would be delicious. All right, next thing, hallelujah, it's June Bugs, Taste of the South and the Orient. Phew, that's a, that's a, that's a big mouthful that's, right there. So that's a great dipping sauce or marinade. Or, so that one, what's cool about you just said it, Tom, it's they combined Creole with Asian flavors to uh-huh. create this. So it's a really bright, fresh, kicking, you know, it's got a kick to it. It's a wonderful sauce, and, um, and, and it came born out of a restaurant. So is it? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I think that's always fun, personally, the, uh, as somebody who bore a, a Yeah, it's a, a family. It's called the Thompson, restaurant. The, the Thompson Row restaurant. It was a family restaurant. They started making this and differentiated, and they started packing it. And that's, we, again, we've seen more and more of that. People are yeah. just, you know, looking for new venues, right? Right. And so they're so Mike, the market. So, when somebody's got this idea, or, like, you know, this restaurant's got this delicious sauce, and their customers tell them, God, if you would just put that in a bottle, I'd right. buy tons of it. I know you're doing these pop-ups to test market. When I did it with uh, Rub With Love 25 years ago, I put it in bags at my host stand and just to see what would yeah, happen if yeah. people would buy it. Because we were getting told by our customers that, wow, that's the best salmon I ever had, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, hmm, I don't want to give away a recipe because it's pretty simple. Uh, maybe I could sell them the blend, the spice blend. And mm-hmm. we now sell 50,000 jars a month of salmon rub. Sweet. Is that literally as simple as it is for people to kind of get started with you Put it in a jar. Let's try it. Let's just see. It is to a degree. You know, sort of the, the, the typical path we see is someone's got something that their friends tell them is delicious. Or right. there's a restaurant and, oh, you guys ought to sell this. Yeah. What tends to happen is they go to farmer's markets first. That's right? a good place. Because yeah. you're talking to the customer. You're tasting. Right. You're to tasting the it together. They're, oh, my God, right? And then, hey, that worked. Now we can bottle it, and we're you know we're a small business too. They're 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 tiny, but we're small. So it's you know let's put it in one store. Let's put it in two stores and try it, and then it works, and then they can get behind it. And for many of the people we deal with, not everybody, but for many of them, even though we're a really small retailer, we're their biggest customer, right? Because they're coming through that early curve of their development. All right, we're going to come back and talk about more of the items that Mike brought today. There's salad dressings, more different more sauces. A salt, a salt, a, a couple of types of smoked fish. Uh, when we come back on Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. 
Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Mike Mondello is here at Made in Washington, and uh, we are in the process of running through a bunch of the new products that uh, they're either doing pop-ups with on their site or putting into their store. So, Mike, uh, we've talked about uh, chocolate from Bellingham area. We've talked about absolutely nuts, these uh, tasty, tasty cashews. They even have a caution tag on them because they're crazy good. Um, <laughs> barbecue sauces. What are you j- jumping into next? Well, let's talk about the fish. All right. So you got two things there uh, from Sea Bear. One is a uh, in our ready to eat pouch, so no refrigeration required. Is the first one close to you? That's a smoked Idaho trout mm-hmm. that comes out of the Magic Valley in Idaho. It's delicious. Oh, thank you. It's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, we really, we were really, we love how mild it is and moist. And then the second one was probably the most fun collaboration we did during the pandemic. We worked with Waterbrook Winery out of Walla Walla, and so that's a smoked wild coho salmon that has been basted in their wine, a glaze from their wine, and then we smoke it using vines from their vineyards and chopped up American uh, Chardonnay oak barrels. And so you're not going to taste it and say, like, oh, my God, it's Chardonnay, right? right. It's got those background notes right. that give it a lightness and a, and a little sweetness that's really kind of well, cool. It's also nice to be sustainable like that, to do everything in one place. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty cool. It's yeah. also a good, uh, good mention as we talk about entrepreneurs and food is to what's your story? That's oftentimes yeah, exactly. what sells the product, right? What's your mm-hmm. story? There's a million smoked salmons out there. Right. Here's a little different story, right? So. Right. All right, what else you got? All right, so let's talk about coffee. Have you guys heard of Campfire Coffee? Has that hit your screen yet? I have heard about it, but also Campfire Whiskey, too. It's the same idea. Oh, is it right? Oh, I haven't heard that. i got to try that. <laughs> so Campfire Coffee started. They were literally roasting it in pans over an open fire and down in Tacoma, this uh, young couple. And then that took off, and they've now started uh, same idea. They're using locally sourced woods. Uh, roasting it over an open fire on a little bit bigger scale, but still very small batch. And they've got three varieties. It's got that nice natural background note that's different. Uh, they're giving back to, they have a campfire foundation that they're giving back to the community. So very much a local uh, local heroes, really. Yeah. And the coffee is delicious. And we've actually got a giveaway for your group And it's today. called? Oh, nice. The name of the company is called? Campfire Coffee. Campfire Coffee. Yep, and I like just call. that little edge of smoke that you get on yeah. it. And uh, there's a, a whiskey called yeah, High West stuff. Campfire Whiskey, and it's it's the same idea, that kind of peaty, smoky yeah. oh, that's uh, cool. quality about it. Stronger than this. Much stronger yeah. in nature. Uh, yeah. What else you got? Okay, so these, this is a company called Walden Lane up north um, on Langley, and this is a, this one here is a balsamic, uh, it's a mandarin and fig balsamic vinegar, and then this is one of their olive oils, it's garlic and scallion olive oil. They have like three or four of each on the balsamics uh-huh. and the olive oil, they have, uh, so it's, but they've blended beautiful flavors in a really high quality all natural product, and then you could see made it into this amazing, beautiful yeah. packaging. Yeah, you can't so you, see it, uh, but the bottles actually stack on top of each right. other in a nice gift pack kind of way. So that makes a great food gift. Yeah. Right? You right. can buy exactly. two or three of these. They they also come together in a crate. So they've done, they've brought great food, great art together in a way that's really kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah. Now, you have a bag of pasta there, and I'm, you know, bag pasta's been out there now for what, like gifty bag pasta, for maybe 40 years. Yeah. What makes uh, a good bag pasta? Because it's sometimes they sit on the shelf a long time or they're not high, you know, sealed properly right. so they get stale. Or 
So I think the first thing you said, Tom, there's probably the key here. First of all, they're starting with great natural ingredients. Right. This is an Orca, Orcas Island company, local goods. And But on top of that, since they're small and we're small, we're able to rip through this rip through much quicker. Yeah. And so it's uh, I serve that in my own home. I absolutely love it. My uh-huh. wife loves it. Um, and they've got maybe five or six different varieties. So when it comes back to food gifting, something like that paired up with a beautiful sauce um, or, you know, sometimes people throw a smoked salmon in, so you make a smoked salmon pasta uh-huh. dinner really easy. I like this because it's tough enough to hold up to a bag. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it just ends up in little pieces. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's often the problem with those dry pasta is by the time you get home, it's little pieces of pasta. But this is nice and strong. Yeah, it's good. Okay, next thing up, everything salt. Okay, so that's the San Juan Sea Salt Company. Uh, they do everything up in uh, Friday Harbor. They do everything with a real focus, again, on the environment. And, and their salt is just, uh, it's, uh, they use the sun to dry down. And uh, so they've got a whole line of beautiful salts. So they only work three months out of the year? Yeah. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> just kidding. Three weekends. San Juan's up yeah. in the banana belt. Remember that part? Oh, banana belt. Banana so belt. Yeah. Everybody, you know, if you look around at the, shore, uh, the shelves, everyone's got an everything mix today, right? Uh-huh. This is one to uh, this is one to put on your pantry counter. Well, you know, really this weird. is. I mean, this is really cool to have something that local, literally ten miles away from here, yeah. Yeah. and you know, you just have your own sea salt and. That's oh, great. They, they I think it's really definitely good. something to have on your kitchen counter. It's not going to be much different than the salt you buy from somewhere else, in terms of finishing salt. No, but it also presents really well a beautiful package. So again, yeah. when you're giving food gifts and you're giving local, one I want to make sure I get a chance to talk about is Kapuli Club teas. And they're out of the east side, and it's a mom and daughter operation from Ecuador. And they, they uh, created this line of edible teas. And so it's, I can pass this over to you, you can see, it's dried fruits, herbs, and spices in the bag. And so you brew this up. It's absolutely, I come out of the tea business 25 years ago, and this is the best tea I've ever had. But on top of that, then at the end, you eat the fruit. No way. Yeah, and so you can you can put, toss it with uh, you can toss yes, it with the yogurt. Because if you put the dry fruit idea. back in water, you can actually it's It's, it's delicious because it's infused yeah. with all those herbs and spices, uh-huh. and they've got three or four different flavors. Absolutely fantastic product, and their gift packaging is wonderful. So we. So- so I'm curious now. I see a tea bag and mm-hmm. the dried fruit on right. the plate. So you get both in in a little bag. So in a little bag. If you were making a pot of this, you would put the satchel in everything there. Everything in there. Uh, everything in. It just all boils, and then uh, after it's brewed a while, enjoy your tea. After the tea's over, take the fruit out, eat it, or toss it on yogurt, so, toss it on ice cream. It's what's called natural fruit flavor as opposed <laughs> it's to... super natural fruit lab, flavor. That's exactly lab flavor. right. Uh, my favorite new product of the last year and a half at uh, Made Marsh. The, the idea oh. is so simple and yet so genius. Yeah. yeah. Cool. We can all then, walk down to the store with you afterwards. Yeah, right. 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 Dock up. Looks right. like we're going, uh, if I have time, I'll t- I want to tell time you about for one more. One more, I'll tell you about. And this is not available at Maven Washington. We're selling it in Seabear on our ca- in our website, but it's brand new. Blazing Bagels, we all know Blazing Bagels. Yeah. They've created Bake at Home Bagels. And this is my uh, <laughs> one of my favorite food discoveries of the last year and a half also. You take these, you let them rise in your fridge. Overnight. So they're frozen. They're frozen pucks, basically, okay. right? And then you let them rise, and then in the morning you just put them out on the counter for 15 minutes while you're getting your eggs and everything else ready. Boil them, I think it's 90 seconds aside, and bake them. 
fantastic. And do you boil them just in, in the water, York. or do you boil them in a syrup? Like no, a you, bo- syrup. you boil them in uh, water. You can okay. certainly, of course, experiment, but that's the instructions. And uh, they're really, you know, when they said, oh, we're going to do a bake-at-home bagel, like, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it shocked us how good they are. And, and you not have them in your stores because you don't have freezers in your yeah, stores? Yeah, we don't have freezers, and oh. so it'll be hard to take, but, um, but we ship them from sea. So what's the brand? That's Blazing Bagels down on uh, First Avenue and and uh, have a couple over locations. Redmond. Like yeah, over right in Redmond. Around, yep, around great area. bagels. Yep. Cool. So there's so many bagel shops now. Yep. Rubenstein's. There's yep. of course there's the uh, what's the wood fired one up on Capitol Hill. Eltana. Eltana. Uh, Rachel's in uh, in uh, Ballard is one that I just tried and I'd throw in a recommendation for. Okay. So much. So it was good fun having you here, Mike. Yeah, it's uh, great. And congratulations on your store because I think it's nice to. Hold the flag for Washington. Oh, well, thank you. And your shipping instructions and the website is beautifully set up. Oh, thank you. So I think everybody should get online when you get home and buy something from (laughs) Well, I think so, too, Pamela. (laughs) And today, during our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, not only will you win uh, a a rub of love if you win, but uh, you might even get this Campfire Coffee gift pack. Wow. Which is very beautiful. Or if I win, I might just take it home. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I was thinking that too, Tom. (laughs) Coming up next, it's time for Defish on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Yay! Uh, you know, uh, Chef Thierry, uh, the, uh, Pamela, our producer, uh, does Christmas Eve dinner every year, and she's constantly wanting to do the Seven Fishes, I think is the name of it. Feast I, of the Seven Fishes. I, it's just not my gig. It's not my thing. Can you explain again what that is? Seven courses of different fishes. It's an Italian tradition eaten in the winter. Yeah. You know it's best eaten in Italy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would prefer that. I don't have any. I love fish, but I just don't want seven courses of it unless it's seven different pieces of su- sushi. Well, thank you for buying the veal rack this year. So I know. We exactly. don't have to have seven courses of fish. But going back to that, uh, one year we did the Feast of the Fishes, and I believe uh, I made a salt-crusted branzino, and yep. then you had it where? Pink Door. Had it at the Pink yeah. Door the other night. And you're curious about, why am I putting words in your mouth? Tell us why. (laughs) Uh, A whole fish coming to the table, especially the way they had it garnished with the the slits and the skin and the lemon and the beautiful herbage on top. It's just Uh jaw-droppingly beautiful, but uh, I just am flummoxed as how to make it and uh, over-salting it with the salt crust. So I need some tips from the experts. Okay, and so then when it came to the table to you, you could at that point see the fish? It was all yeah, garnished? it was Was all, it still on a bed of salt or not? Some, not, some, a, lot. not a lot. So yeah. I, I was looking through recipes. It seems like you're supposed to lift the fish and knock the salt off. Okay. Correct. Is that it? Yeah, no, for sure. You don't serve the salt with the fish. Darn. Well, I have, seen it, I have seen it taken to the table. Because, because otherwise you're going to need a lot of water. You're going to be very thirsty. I'm still thirsty. I ate there two nights ago. The, the idea of, I think the idea of cooking in a salt crust is originally meant to be um, like a high heat oven, like in a stone kind of idea, you know, where the salt solidifies. It's basically a little bit of egg white and salt. You wrap that around the fish, and you put it in a super hot oven, and obviously your fish has lemon or whatever flavor you want to add to the fish, seasoning of some kind, herbs or whatever. 
But the idea is to put it in the oven super hot, like, for example... Well, it tom- becomes its own oven. Correct. It, it becomes so, a salt oven. Correct. And yeah. what's actually, uh, if you can ahead of time, is to warm up the salt or have a cast iron pan that is already hot. I used to do a salt crust whole foie gras. <laughs> and that was a challenge. But that would come out so beautiful. And not, because it's, not just decadent. because it's foie gras, but also because you can do a whole piece. And you can do it with a roast of any kind if you want to. But the idea is to just take a little bit of egg white to kind of wet a little bit the, the, um, the uh, salt and also to use as a glue when you put it together so it doesn't mm. just fall back apart. So I can imagine when I think about this dish, and it's a historic dish, I can imagine that it really only happened in, uh, in, in courts, kings and queens oh, yeah, courts, because salt was so expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's- this particular dish that you're talking about, Pam, if you were to take, let's say, two one-and-a-half-pound branzinos, so you put your your egg white salt, your half of it on the bottom of your cookie sheet, and you put the other... By the way, if you have an aluminum cookie sheet, put a piece of foil and then, because <laughs> oh, yeah. it'll pock your aluminum cookie sheet. But anyway, you put that base down, you put your two fish on top, you put your slits in the fish, you could put rosemary, lemons, you could do all sorts lot of, of lemon. fennel, this had a lot of fennel lemon. fronds, uh, all sorts of things. And then you take the other half of the salt and you literally just paste it over the top. And so... When it comes out, and I'm, that's why it's such a fun table-side dish. Yeah, I'm surprised they don't show it show to it you that. and yeah. crack it at the table. Well, if you had a cart, you could bring it out to the side of the table, and then you literally crack the crust, peel it back, and pull the fish off. And at that point, you could literally debone the fish for the customer if you wanted to. I wish they had, because we had some awkward moments in pulling out the whole skeleton. Well, Branzino's a very bony fish. They were using rockfish, which is the other reason I was attracted to it, because I'm a big fan of Washington Coast rockfish. Uh-huh. But it, it, was, it had a lot of bones. They, they so, do. I mean, a, a two-pound rockfish has about eight to ten ounces of meat. Yeah. Yeah, so... And, <laughs> And then you also get the eyeballs, which is another protein source for you. I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> you purposely did that, didn't you, Tom? You knew she was going to go, no way. But, well, the che- but the cheeks. She likes the cheeks. I was uh, trying to get to the cheek, and I got the eyeball. Well, on the, the Brenzino, you know, you're not going to have. I mean, that's like you're talking about a, an te- eighth te- of a teaspoon. teaspoon. Yeah. I know. It was, <laughs> it's small cheeks. But it was fun to gnaw on the, the collar and yeah. head uh-huh. a little bit. Well, it's definitely finger food. It's more like eating yeah. a whole fish in a Chinese restaurant where they get it right out of the tank and, and uh, pop it in the fryer. or, or uh, So the idea in, in restaurants where they serve the whole fish like this in most oh, in, in, the, salt in the old days, yeah. you know, they would break it on the gueridon, which is the little cart next to your table. Classically, they would break it down. They would remove the fish. And then the, the, uh, the server would actually fillet the fish for you and put it on your plate and usually we'd have like a little sauce, like a beurre blanc or whatever that goes with that, um, to put a, a next to the fish. And you would and pay $100. Yeah, yeah, you would pay $100 for that, yeah. which is, I mean, whatever. It's, it is what it is. But my fondest memory of doing that was we rented a house in the south of France, in Nice, outside of Nice, um, maybe 10 years ago. And, and I went to the old Nice fish market and bought three Lou de Mer, which is the same family as a Branzino. It's like the, the sea bass of the Mediterranean. Obviously, there's much less than they used to be. So they were very expensive fish. But I wrapped them, uh, stuffed them with fennel, rosemary, a little bit of olive oil and lemon. And then I slit the, the fish, like, you know, you do a little mm-hmm. slit on top of the filet. And then wrap it up in salt crust and put that. At, we had an oven outside. 
you know, like a pizza oven, and I put that in the oven for lunch, a couple of bottles of rosé. <laughs> Man, we were happy, happy yeah. campers. And so I, the key is, that how did you check the temperature of the fish? Yes, did, that's I, the I, you, I don't, you just kind of went I by... I just went by, by feeling and by also well, you can't feel by the guessing. Fish. By no, guessing. No, by guessing. I'm yeah. like, you know, I, I, it was about, I think it was about 25 minutes in the oven, and then I took it out, and I, I was like, I'm not going to crack it yet, I'm going to wait. You know, I, then I waited a little bit so it keeps on cooking. That's what I was going to say. You got to be careful was, there, right? It was definitely cooked all the way. It was not, there was no doubt in the world and it was cooked. So yeah. um, it could have been probably 15 minutes and then let it sit. Um, I just know the fillet were not, the, the fish were not that big. They were probably a couple pound each, you know, maybe two and a half pound. So they were not, not that big of a fish. And, uh, but it came out, it was scrumptious. But you can do that with a. If you were to do that, say with a rack of lamb or a leg of lamb or something like that, I would. My inclination would be to give it a hard sear first, correct, and then put it in the salt press because that's the part that you miss if you don't. Right, you miss that kind of outside for fish too, or just for no meat? for the fish. I don't think it's uh, super possible. No, no. yeah, no. but but that's the way I used to do the foie gras for the for the lobe when I did the whole lobe. I would sear the lobe on the outside first, yeah. then I would put it into the salt crust. So if you're in the store and you see a box of kosher salt right now, it's probably eight or ten dollars. That's really you need that whole box to oh, do yeah. uh, this. These two little branzinos. Yeah, maybe even two. It depends how much you're cooking, but but and maybe uh, egg whites, six egg whites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean, what is ten bucks of salt when you have a thirty dollar piece of fish? I mean, <laughs> right, and there's really not much to do with that salt uh, no. unless you have a lot of slugs no. in the yard. It's, yeah, exactly. I was gonna, I was gonna say it's great to put around your house. You know, just keep keep the bugs out. Yeah. It, now the trick is finding the fish. Correct. It's it's more difficult, which is sad because it's difficult uh, for a couple of reasons. One is there's just not that many out there. Right, and, and a little motion on a little notion on uh, rockfish. It takes 25 years to mature and start reproducing. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> so you're done with the rockfish, okay? You're good. <laughs> I'm just saying. You just, this ru- is, this just is, ruined her life. I, but I, have a, I have a son who graduated from uh, Hawaii. Oh, that's uh, right. In from Hawaii in, And he was in the fish, fishery uh, <laughs> education, I guess. And the uh, first day I opened Luke, that was 12 years ago, I was like every night I would have a platter, of, a family platter I wanted to do. One Friday, I was going to do a whole rockfish in salt. That was my, I was like, this is going to be such a hit. This could be beautiful. First week I do it, he happens to walk in a restaurant. You know, he was there, and Ryan, and then he goes, I go, oh, look at this, man. I made some, look at this gorgeous rockfish in salt. And he's like, rockfish? Where are these from? I'm like, man, it's right here. Put this on. He's like, do you know it takes 25 years to reproduce? <laughs> I go, Oh, great. <laughs> that went right out the window. You lost trout. all your enthusiasm. <laughs> trout. Well, the trout back, is farm-raised. That's yeah. the trout. Yeah. But my point is, it's, I mean, it's a kind of like, yeah. yeah. So just another one It's good one to be aware of those things. It's, I don't think it necessarily takes rockfish off the table. No, no, no. But, but it but takes certainly adult rockfish off the table. Correct. Yeah. You have to go further than, you know, you have to make sure that they have enough time to reproduce at least once so they can right. keep the populations up. <laughs> It's uh, it's so much fun though. It's so exciting. Yeah. And uh, I will. Uh, I look forward to the next time that we can cook that together, Miss Inkley. Yes, That'd please. That'd be really fun. We can do it on the charcoal grill. Yeah. Indirectly so, on charcoal. Since you miss veggie, you could also try with vegetable like eggplant. You like eggplant? You could do very a pe- much. Pe- celery root would be so good. Celery root, crust. you know, whole. You just peel them. Yes, and just I've pe- had celery root down uh-huh. that way. It's spectacular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really. Uh, 
a different way to do it. But again, a box of salt, kosher salt is, is what it's going to cost you. So a couple egg whites. Yeah, super fun. When we come back, it's time for the Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. It's time for Rub With Love Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub With Love handcrafted, versatile rubs, sauces, and mustards that add a flavorful kick and a whole lot of love to just about any meat, fish, or vegetable. Look for Rub With Love products in your local grocery store or butcher shop or online, Tom Douglas, or on Amazon, uh, your buddy Sea Town. Or Carol wants everybody to visit that fun rack that you just built I know, at Sea Town. We, we built a new, because it's now the Sea Town Rub Shack and yeah. Fish Fry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we built a new rack down there. It looks good. Looks real good. Uh, now, if we could just stop. People are, it's so good, people are, keep breaking in the Sea Town to, to steal the rub. Their way in. Yeah, I know, exactly. Uh, today's contestant is from our audience. It's Lisa. And uh, will you tell Lisa how to play the game and what she's going to win? Thank you, Lisa. Each contestant is going to get five questions. And the person who gets the most right is the winner. And then we have the loser who can't uh, think of any of them. We make fun of them. But it's not going to be you. <laughs> we might, Lisa. If you lose, we might make fun of you. Because uh, Mike Mandelo from Made in Washington was here, and he was so generous with gifts. You're going to get a trio, the winner, of Campfire Coffee. It's nice. beautiful. And some rub with love. Uh, the other reminder on Rub With Love now, Santa Tom has a little promotion going. If you order more than $25 worth of rub and you write crab in the promo line, you get the free crab cake book. There you go. Ooh. With your rub purchase. Very exciting times very at the exciting. Rub With Love shop. That's TomDouglas.com. Thank you very much. .com. All right, Terry Rotaro. <laughs> I'm ready. Go for it. Which country is it a tradition to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken as Christmas dinner? Which country is it to eat Kentucky <laughs> where Fried they, Chicken? Where, where they eat, many people eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, they have Kentucky Fried Chicken all over the world now. Yep, yeah. Yep. Oh, it's a trick question. It's not, not a trick. A, not a trick. It's okay. not our country. I have my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to you do? I'm going to say England. Japan. I was going to say Korea. Bibimbap, KFC. Okay, we were all wrong, I guess. <laughs> Eggnog was first introduced by which country? Maybe similar to, to your uh, prior answer. Oh, England. <laughs> Yay! Uh, too late. Too no, late. I was going to say. Over two. Over two. I thought it was France, too, because it's like a creme Femme anglaise. Anglaise, yeah. Anglaise, yeah. Mm-hmm. Number three, what is the name of the country in which stolen is traditionally their fruitcake, their version of fruitcake? Stolen cake is from Germany. Yes. I'm, I think I'm obsessed with the U.K. today. Which food is usually, UK. usually <laughs> <laughs> left for Santa in the U.K.? What's your idea, Tom? Sticky toffee pudding. I'm going to say no, that's not even close. That's not even close to that. I think it's like a... A little more the same. Yeah, I think it's going to be more like a... a Stilton. Piece of, a piece Colston of Stilton. Bassett Stilton. Exactly. That would be my guess. Huh? Yeah, exactly. A piece of blue cheese. Uh, mince pie and sherry. <laughs> okay. Oh. You were close, Chef. I knew they had I no was closer s- than you. No sense of taste. <laughs> blue cheese Stilton is so delicious. <laughs> um, in order to make a Christmas pudding, which spirit... Is often mixed with butter. Is the spirit made in the UK? No. 
Probably not. Probably. It's probably rum. Brandy. <laughs> okay. That was my first guess, but I'm like, ah, she's probably trying to trick me there. You were not tricking All right, me. One for five, Chef Lisa. One, it's the same as last a, week. A tall, tall task in front of you to beat one for five. Yeah, Lisa. This you- one is hard. I'm sorry. In Hungary, which animal is often used to replace turkey on the Christmas menu? Emu. It's in the water. Fish. <laughs> All right. Nice job, yes. Lisa. I would say duck. Particularly carp. But we're giving it to her. She said yeah, she fish. Yeah, she said fish. Fish. <laughs> All right, Lisa. You're already equal to my score. <laughs> Which company was the first to introduce the red and white costume of Father Christmas? And it's an American company, and it's a beverage. Coca-Cola. Yes. Wow. I would never have got that. I love this. I was thinking Budweiser. It's an American company. It's, uh, and, uh, it's yeah. got bubbles, and it's all over the world. I know. I was thinking Budweiser. That's red and white. Lisa, what is a female? I thought you'd have to be drunk to come up with that. What is a female turkey called? Turkey. So if the male is a tom, the male is a tom. Doris. <laughs> I'll give her that one. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> She definitely, she gets two points for that. All right, Doris. Ahead, but you, you're a winner. Um, uh, what is a bouche de Noël, um, a, a fabulous dish from France, served during Christmas? Cake, uh, chocolate cake in the shape of a log? Yes! I am sick of this. <laughs> yeah, she's got four, she's four out of four, four, by the way. <laughs> Here's a real tough one. Which type of craft house is often made and eaten for Christmas? Gingerbread. Yeah. Five for five. Way to go, Lisa. Nice Big round job. of applause. Five out of five. She has uh, earned her prize today. I don't even know why I should go at this point. <laughs> because we love torturing you. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> All right. What is the title of the best-selling Christmas song ever? White Christmas. Yes. Uh, so much for you what, knowing, Chef. Oh, yeah. I know you're a history buff. What is the name of the first U.S. president that decorated the White House with Christmas trees? Abraham Lincoln. Franklin Pierce. <laughs> wow. What That's is, why we have Pierce County. Nobody gets that here. <laughs> nobody. What is the name of the country that traditionally fills children's clogs with candies and treats on December 5th? Denmark. <laughs> The nope. Netherlands. Netherlands. Same thing. That's yeah, the country with clogs. Netherlands. Same thing. Where did candy canes come from? The magic candy cane god in the sky. <laughs> what, what country? What country? Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, Denver. <laughs> <laughs> There's a candy company in Denver called Hammonds, and they make beautiful candy canes. Yeah. Many of the beautiful Christmas traditions in Germany. Swedes come from Germany. I know. I knew <laughs> a country the whole time. I know you did. Oh, I love this one. What are the things that can be made from pine needles? Well, we should ask you that <laughs> since you are the crafter in the house. Uh, but uh, my favorite place for pine needles are in the under the trees at Augusta National Golf Course where they play the Masters. And some of the best shots of the year come off the pine needles at Augusta. Well, well, that's very poetic. Thank but you. what could they the make other one from is in, The other one is in the compost bin on January 2. <laughs> uh, what could they make from them? I think the, they the could make eat. a pine eau de vie. Yes. Douglas fir eau de vie. Yes. 
Point five on that one. Wait, what's the answer? The answer was tea, syrup, vinegars, and butters. And, and liquors. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. And, and liquors. Wait, no, 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 one second. They forgot to mention eau de vie. I'm with him. I know. Yeah. Okay, Grappa. full point, full point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a three out of five, Tom. Thank you. That was so Thank spectacular. Lisa is the grand winner of the day. Lisa. Since, since I was a loser, I'll pay for delivery. I'll deliver it okay. to you. Okay, <laughs> there we go. You know, Lisa, I think it's a little bit um, mean for you to come up here in a cute little Christmas hat with your yeah, cute exactly. little Christmas pen, your little red top, and then crush us like little bugs. It's just not very nice. No, you did great. If you want to be part of the show like Mean Lisa... You can join our community on Facebook at Hot Stove Society Radio. You're listening to us on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. And the show is produced by Pam Hinckley. Our production uh, engineer is Sean McFadden. And our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. Woo!